0: The message the Lord has asked me to share with you is a two-part presentation entitled Preparation for Revival. Preparation for Revival. The oh Lord, as I share what you have shown me and taught me, I pray that you will bring unction to my words, that you will quicken my spirit and that your Holy Spirit will prepare us for revival. And we will give you the honor and the praise and the glory, and we will say it was Jesus. Thank you, Almighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Before we can begin to talk about the path of preparation for revival. We have to discount some myths, some false beliefs about the way revival comes. Number one, we cannot generate revival ourselves by increasing our religious activities. I know that from my own experience. Beginning to hold all night prayer meeting sessions. Beginning to spend many hours in meetings. I've gone that route. It did not produce revival. Revival cannot be produced by increasing our religious activity. It has to come from another source. Number two, we must accept that no man or woman of God, no matter how high their calling or heavy their anointing, can spark the fire of God among us. That revival is not going to come because I'm a great preacher and because I have the anointing of God on my life. If Charles Finney walked into this house tonight to preach to you, he would not bring revival. Revival comes from the Holy Ghost. Number three. We cannot look to great ministries. We may be impressed by their glossy advertising, by their national radio broadcasts, by their personality, but never yet has a national ministry brought revival to God's people. Never has the fame of a pastor produced revival. Number 4. We cannot outwait God for his revival fire. In other words, we cannot say this is not God's season for revival. Therefore, we must wait for God's season to come and then revival will come. Revival is not something that God has planned on his calendar. Revival is a promise of God in response to a people who will walk a certain path. And if that path is walked, He will come among them with revival power and the result will be many thousands swept into the kingdom of God. So it's not as though we're waiting for a date to occur and at that date, God will pour out revival. And in the meantime, we just have to be patient and wait. If we're going to begin to be serious about a preparation for revival, we must begin with the first step, understanding in our hearts, knowing in our minds that God is holy. Now, the normal word for holy is hagios in the Greek, and it simply means Observing all of the commands of God. Obeying the regulations of God. Doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's called holy in scripture. But there's another word that is used for holy. And it's a word totally unlike "hagios." This word means God is at his very essence. Utter. Completeness. He is unlike us. He is unlike anything we will ever be. He is utterly righteous. He is utterly. Utterly. Totally. Holy. To the point he is unlike even his perfect beings. So an angel can be hagios, But an angel cannot be holy as God is holy because associated with this holiness is glory and power and dominion and authority. It is unlike us. We are creatures created in the image of God He is the brilliance of himself. We are but a shadow, a faint glimmering of who God is. He is the essence. So we have to begin any preparation for revival by recognizing that God is unlike us. He is holy. The text I would share with you is 1 Peter the first chapter, and I'll begin reading for you in verse 14. This is First Peter, the first chapter, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, Be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The path to revival requires, first of all, reformation. There has never been a revival without first having reformation. Reformation is a a fancy word that means reform school. Reformation is a a looking at the reality of what's happening in our lives and making a decision we can't walk that way anymore and changing the way we walk. Reforming. In other words, to be put in a reform school where we are disciplined, where we are structured, where we have a get-up time and a go-to-bed time where we're no longer in charge of our own schedules, we're no longer in charge of activities of our own. We are now in reform school. We are under the discipline of those who are going to conform us to the pattern we're supposed to follow. The National Prayer Chapel, if you please, is first and foremost a reform school that accounts for why we are so small. Because there are not many who are willing to submit to the reforming process. As you can probably testify, it is painful. It is painful. But it's necessary. This reform process has to go forward in our hearts. And as the reform process goes forth in our hearts, we become like the one who is reforming us. The reform school gets into the deepest parts of our personal lives. It's not a program we attend. It's a process we begin to engage in. So in other words, it's going to influence and cause you to begin to have family meals together. It's going to cause the whole family structure to be altered. It's going to cause you to begin to have worship with your children every evening before they go to bed. It's going to cause you to begin to set up time when they read the scriptures together with you. It's going to cause you to become, as my wife says, Pete and repeat. Repeat and repeat. It's, it means you're going to do over and over and over and over until they become natural habits in your life, those things which God has called you to do. And those things which are of the world are going to be broken from your hearts by the grace of Jesus. Jesus. And part of the process that's necessary for us to go through is that breaking and restructuring down to the smallest part of our family's life. The kind of food we eat. The kind of food we don't eat. The way we exercise. The way we spend time with each other. The way we cut off constantly going after the ways of the world and feasting on the things of darkness. It's going to cause a total reformation in our lives. And as that reformation is achieved, we are preparing then a path for revival. Tonight I'm going to go through an Old Testament example of revival. One that did not take but the process was correct. On Sunday, we're going to go through, step by step, Jesus' outline for revival. So let's go now to the Old Testament, and let's walk step by step through the process, as outlined in the book of Kings, for revival to take place. It begins with judgment. Revival always begins with a word that is spoken into our hearts that convicts us of our sin and causes us to respond in some manner. And that word that came to Elijah's heart, that he walked in and spoke to King Ahab was, it's not going to rain in this land. Again, until I tell you, it's not going to rain. In other words, all Holy Spirit power is being withdrawn. You are under the wrath of God. There is judgment upon this nation. You're going to go hungry. You're going to lose your economic base. I'm going to take from you your means of livelihood. You are going to suffer. I tell you tonight, the first step in any revival coming is hearing that word of God spoken into our heart and beginning to walk under the wrath and discipline of God so that he can begin to bring reformation into our lives. I wish this were not so. I wish it were possible for us to say, let's hold prayer meetings three nights a week. No, let's do it six nights a week. No, let's do it seven nights a week, and revival will come. A bunch of us would do it. If prayer meetings seven nights a week will bring revival, let's do it. But prayer meetings ten nights a week won't do it. Rather, there has to be a judgment from God spoken over our lives. We have to sense the wrath of God on our lives. If we don't sense the wrath of God on our lives, there will be no revival. That's why I am forced by the Spirit to come and speak with you in such a manner. To cause that wrath to be seen and identified, to bring it to consciousness. So that you can begin to see the sin in your own heart. Even as the Holy Spirit shows the sin in my heart. And then we begin to respond to that judgment. I want to tell you that the wrath of God even fell on Elijah. He was out beside that brook Cherith. He could not live in a house. He had no place to meet people. His ministry was totally cut and shattered. He was isolated, sitting by himself out beside a brook, did not have a tent, exposed to the elements. I could imagine that that this man could have gone into a real pity party. Being fed by birds, do you suspect the first day He pulled off the food where the bird's beak had been. This is not sanitary food. This is bird delivered food. And he probably dropped it on the ground. And so now we have Elijah under the wrath of God, suffering with all the rest of the nation. I wonder if at some point Elijah didn't say to God, Did I hear from you? Was that you, God? And then the brook dried up. And God's word did not come to him until after the brook dried up. We want God to come to us before the brook dries up. Before the trouble comes, God, tell me what the deliverance is. No, he sat by the brook, and every day he watched the stream lessen until finally there wasn't enough to give him a drink. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And then the Lord did not send him to a kindly widow of the children of Israel, but sent him to the land of Zarephath to a Gentile woman, Queen Jezebel's country. The wrath of God. He was outside of the land of the Lord God. He was away from Mount Zion. Now please, please, please hear me and understand me tonight. You think you're suffering? Praise Jesus. It means you're under the wrath of God. It means he's reforming your life. It means he's bringing changes. And frankly, none of us change very easily. Usually there has to be enough pain inflicted before we will say, it'd be more comfortable if I just go ahead and change. The first step in preparation is a holy God who brings his wrath on his people to begin to reform them. Now, the accusation in chapter 18, verse 17 of King Ahab is, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baal's. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Now please understand the Lord is saying I'm going to bring revival. I'm going to do it by lifting up my holiness. Do you think of the Holy Spirit as the happy spirit? Do you think of the Holy Spirit as the as the spirit of love? Do you think of the Holy Spirit as the of the spirit of miracle, working power. Well, he's all of those things. But he is always, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit. And The Holy Spirit brings the judgment. He begins to bring wrath on our lives. To reform us. And then he begins to bring together people who will... Walk in this reform process together. And this is the word that the Lord would speak to us tonight in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And tonight I have to come to you and say, How long will you waver? between two opinions. I am not so ignorant as to suppose that the absence of the Spirit of God among us is just because God had some whim to not be faithful to his promise. We've not yet walked into revival because we've not yet walked into holiness As a congregation. Some of you, let me speak please to the husbands. Some of you husbands are much more concerned about keeping your wife happy than you are about keeping Jesus happy. Some of you are much more concerned about keeping your boss happy than you are about keeping Jesus happy. And tonight the Lord God of heaven is speaking clearly to our hearts and saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Make the decision. And some of the rest of you, you're playing with sin on the side. God has called you to go a specific way. And you have said, no, I don't want to go that way. And what you're doing when you rebel against the Lord that way is cause him to either cast you aside or bring more wrath on you. Because you will not change until sufficient pain is brought to bear that you have to make a decision. Well, I'm not sure which I'm more afraid of. Being cast aside by God or having more wrath brought down on my life. I don't like either option. And yet this double-mindedness permeates our families. It permeates our fellowship. It's It's a holding back. It's a holding back. The Lord is saying tonight, will you please make a decision? I saw a bumper sticker. I always watch bumper stickers. The bumper sticker read, you can ride, but you've got a row. You can ride, but you've got a row. Or you remember the old Merle Haggard song, the pink Cadillac? You can ride, but you gotta pay. And so the Lord has asked us to come together as a body and to commit our hearts to a reforming process in preparation for revival. And he's saying, you can ride with me but you're going to have to row with me. It's going to cost you. Time, energy, money, it's going to cost you. Friendships, it's going to cost you. Everything of the world. It's going to cost you. So count the cost carefully before you embark in the reformation process of the Holy Ghost. You know one of the things it's cost me? It's cost me the privilege of getting an attitude against my wife. Can't do that anymore. The Lord will not tolerate me getting angry with Jan because she says something or does something that I don't particularly appreciate. The Holy Spirit will not allow me that privilege anymore. He instantly rebukes me now and says, Lose it, Ray. Lose it, Ray. Drop it. Don't go there. Now go back and get it right and humble your heart. The Lord will not let me get an attitude with you. If one of you does something that I'm not particularly fond of, he will not allow me to just walk away and avoid the conflict. He won't let me just get in your face and say, Ah! He says, come and and be like me with them. Speak my word to them honestly, but with love and compassion and mercy. See, when we begin to enter into this reforming process, everything is broken down that we're used to, and a whole new deal is built up. A whole new way of life, a new way of using our time and our energy and our money. All of this is new, and it's of the Holy Ghost. So how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The people said nothing. But Elijah said, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Let them choose one for themselves, that is two bulls, in verse 23. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, hey, what you say is good. Let's watch the contest between gods. You notice there was a total lack of conviction of sin. They've undergone two years of reform school. And there's still no conviction of sin. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there's so many of you... Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. We have tried so hard in the body of Christ to get revival the way the prophets of Baal go after revival. If we sing louder and we sing longer, if we pray longer, if we go to more meetings, then surely God is going to hear us and he's going to bring revival. God is not impressed by any of that stuff. Singing has a wonderful place in the church of Christ. Praying has a wonderful place in the church of Christ. But religious activity does not bring revival. Reformation is the path of preparation. For revival. Verse 28. So they shouted louder. And slashed themselves with swords and spears. As was their custom. Until their blood flowed. Midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying. Until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now please hear me. At the National Prayer Chapel, the Lord has called us to this place for the specific reason of revival in Washington, D.C. That's why we're a church. That's what our name means, National Prayer Chapel. A praying group of people who are willing to go through the process of preparation for the outpoured power of the Holy Ghost. Many have come and many have left because they have no heart to go through the process. But let's be very clear about what that process is. It is not slashing ourselves with swords. It's not beating ourselves up. It's not condemning ourselves. The prophets of Baal slashed themselves and beat themselves. And there was no revival. So revival does not come by the beating up of oneself. Self-condemnation. Revival does not come by holding longer and louder meetings. Revival comes by a process of reform, of reformation. Now, please watch, step by step, what the process of reformation was. First of all, it is the time for the evening sacrifice. In other words, there was a sacrifice to be offered at twilight. Now in accordance with the word of God, standing on the promises of God, the lamb is going to be offered. The blood is going to be shed. You're already catching where I'm going. Revival comes by the blood. Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. In other words, gather close. There are some things we have to do together, and it requires that we gather close, that we come together. He repaired the altar of the Lord. He did not clear off the altar of Baal, which was no doubt a much bigger, more imposing altar. He didn't say, let's bring in the hot music band. He didn't say, let's bring in a name speaker. Revival was not going to come by offering the sacrifice On the altar of Baal. The church today has said that the altar of God, broken down as it is, has no power. And so they've gone to the altar of Baal and they've said at least when we're at the altar of Baal, we get the numbers. We get the body and the bucks and the bricks. So if we can't have the Holy Spirit, we'll at least have our success. But I must tell you, revival does not come at the altar of Baal, even if you put on it the altar, the offering of the Lamb of God. Elijah could have used the altar of Baal, he could have slain the Lamb on the altar of Baal, and God's fire would not have come. Now, he had a repair process. Now, please understand me. This is the process we're in right now. We are in the process of putting the stones in place at the National Prayer Chapel for the fire of God to come. That's the process we're in. In your personal family's life, I pray under the Under the fear of God, you are stepping into those places of abiding that the Holy Spirit has called you to. You're walking in obedience in the little things, giving up the irritation of your heart, giving up the pride of your heart, stepping into that place of humility before God, either willingly or unwillingly. reading your scriptures, praying, putting in place those stones in the altar of God so that the fire of God can come into your heart and into your life. When the altar is broken down, you have no place to offer the sacrifice. So the altar has to be built back. The foundation stones have to be replaced. Some of you in your marriage, you need to go back and repent one to another and replace the foundation stones in your marriage. Some of you in your marriages, there are certain topics you can't talk about because you get too mad if you talk about it. Those things you have to go back and talk about. And repent to one another for the stubbornness of your hearts. For the bitterness of your spirit. And say, honey, I'm sorry. We can talk about it. And you've got to begin making a vow one to another. There isn't anything we won't talk together about. We're going to talk about it all And we're going to pray for one another, and we're going to encourage one another, and we're not going to accuse one another. And the D word will never be used again. Never again threaten with divorce. God hates divorce, it's not an option. It's not an option. If I were to say to Jan in a bitter argument, I want a divorce. I can tell you right now what she would do because we've already talked it through. She'd go downstairs and get a suitcase and start packing me. Start packing me. Because divorce is not an option between us. And if the nuclear word is used, we mean it. It's over. And it means we have turned against the living God of heaven. We have fled from his mercy. And we have asked for the wrath of God to fall upon us in eternal judgment. We will not walk that way. We will not play with that word. When you make a decision that you are going to follow Jesus, you're not going to bend one way and the next way and blow with the wind. You're going to walk straight ahead. You begin to rebuild the altar of your life and in your church. And you begin to put in place stones that are not again to be moved. And so you settle certain things. No longer in our family will we ever cut each other down. Even in joking. No longer will we in any way belittle one another. Always will preserve the dignity of our spouse. No longer will we belittle the children we will hold a firm line and a firm hand with great love and great mercy. It's not a child-centered home. It's a Jesus-centered home. It means you begin to put in place all of those stones of reformation that God has asked you to build into your family because the fire of God is going to come on your family. He said, come close. He begins to repair the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. He takes 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob. You notice it does not say descended from Israel. Descended from the heel grabber, because which of us is not a heel grabber? To whom the word of the Lord has come, saying, your name shall be Israel. In other words, you come out of Jacob. Husbands, which of you didn't marry your wife crabbing for everything you could grab for? You wanted your wife to do it your way. You wanted to go about doing your own deal and have your sweetie follow you and pick up all the dirt. But in the Lord, it doesn't work that way. Which of us has not walked in such a manner that we thought we could have it all our way? And the word of the Lord comes to us and rebukes our heart and says, leave that way of Jacob alone and become Israel. Become an overcomer. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, he cut the bull into pieces, he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. They did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. They did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar, even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now, wait a minute. I want you to get this. After we've done everything we can do to obey the Holy Spirit in reforming our families, revival has not come yet. I mean, it would seem that we could say, okay, God, I'm ready. I did my part, now you have to do your part. That's not how God works. But I do want to show you how God works. Now, with a simple prayer of belief, trusting in the blood that is shed, Elijah begins to pray. He doesn't begin to slash himself, he doesn't begin to dance. Doesn't begin to sing. Now he simply begins to pray. A short prayer. Verse 36, the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac. And Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. I want you to hear clearly this in your heart. There is a work that you must do in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It is a work of reformation. It is reform school. It must be carried out with diligence in your family and in your personal life. It is done under the judgment and wrath of God, but it is also done under the mercy of God, under the compassion of Jesus, under the long-suffering. And as that work is completed and the altar is prepared, we are called as living sacrifices to lay ourselves on that altar. Now that is all we can do. And it's up to God to act. I can't tell you the joy of my heart, time after time after time, as Pastor Jan and myself, with many of you, have done exactly what the Lord has told us to do. We've done exactly what he told us to do. And then he sovereignly moved. And when you become accustomed to seeing the almighty God of heaven move in response to your plea, there is nothing in the world like it. Deliverance from every sin, every bondage is provided. Every resource that's necessary is provided. Every healing that is required is given. The Lord provides and builds and shapes because he wants one thing. He wants vessels useful in his hand. A man asked Charles Finney, Tell me, Brother Finney, I've been praying For the Holy Spirit, and he has not come. Why has the Holy Spirit not come in response to my prayer? And Brother Finney answered, I would advise you to examine your motives for asking for the Holy Spirit. And the man replied, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit, because I cannot be a happy Christian without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Finney responded, the Holy Spirit is never given to make us happy. The Holy Spirit is only given for one purpose, to make us useful in the hands of God to accomplish his purpose. We don't use the Holy Spirit. He is not a tool in our hands to be used to accomplish our purpose. We are used in His hand. He pours through us. We're but a vessel. And He has to have a clean vessel in order to pour through. Are you clean tonight? How are you progressing? in this work of reformation in your marriages? How are you progressing in this work of reformation in your private personal lives? Are you still seeking to worship Baal? Are you slashing yourselves? Or are you setting in place stones of holiness in an altar upon which you will offer your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord God of heaven. Totally sold out, given over to him without any reservation. And say to him, O God, send your fire that I might be useful to your kingdom. Send your fire that you could use me. The fire came. The fire came. Blazing out of the sky. The fire came. Now, if you go to the New Testament, here you have these precious disciples and some of the women as well. And they're all gathered together, 120 in one place praying. Now, guess what? The Holy Spirit does not come in response to their simply gathering and praying of one accord. They've been with Jesus for three years in reform school. They've been through a crucifixion and a resurrection. They've been through the rebuking of Jesus after the resurrection, saying, why are you so hard of heart? The revival that came at Pentecost did not just come out of the blue sky without a work of reformation taking place in the lives of those 120 people who gathered in that upper room. They were prepared for the outpoured power and presence of the Holy Holy Spirit according to the gift that Jesus had promised them. So to expect the Holy Spirit to come and just suddenly transform us Is a fairy tale. It's not going to happen. Never has happened yet. It has always come in response to a few people who have been willing to reform their lives under the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost and who have been willing to meet His requirements who have then offered their lives as living sacrifices on that altar. And then the fires come. Then the fires come. So I have to ask you again the question I started with this evening. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. How long will you waver between these two opinions? The Lord God of heaven has called us to reform us, to make us in his image. But there are stones that have to be put in place in that altar. The joy is in the submitting to the Holy Spirit and standing in those places of abiding that he's asked us to step into. The pain of the journey of reformation is fighting against the pricks. All of you in this house have been yoked up with Jesus Christ. And so now when you think you want to run and get a Big Mac, you're fighting against the goad. You're supposed to be in the field walking with the big ox. And you're saying, No, I want to go do this. I want to go do that. And he's saying, I'm sorry, you're yoked in. That's no longer an option. So if you try to go do what you want to do under the wrath of God, you're going to suffer. But if you continue to walk simply by faith, Jesus says, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So the reform school process is a very simple, easy, joyous process so long as we willingly submit and put in place in our lives those stones that the Lord Jesus has asked us to put in place. The pain comes in the disobedience and the rebellion and the indecision and the double-mindedness and trying to have it both ways. Are you willing to submit this to Jesus and walk it out day by day, step by step, knowing that he alone will deliver you? Now please, Elijah had no way of making the fire fall. We say that again. Elijah had no way to make the fire fall. He had to stand by faith that the fire would fall. He prepared the altar. He put in place the stones of revival, of reformation. He put all of that in place. He offered that lamb as a symbol of Jesus Christ. The blood was shed. And then he had to wait on God. Let's be very honest tonight. As soon as the fire fell, the crowd said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But no one repented for their sins. They just liked the fireworks. And then Ahab went off to eat and drink and have a picnic. When he should have been having a prayer meeting with his people. He should have been with his hands lifted up to the heavens. Weeping and repenting before God for his people. He had no heart for revival. And the revival was over. The shortest revival in Scripture. God is going to bring revival. Will you say, Wow, look at the people! Look at the healings! Wow! And then go have a picnic? Or will you have accomplished the work of reformation in your life so that you can be useful in the hand of God for what He wants to accomplish? Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you for the famine you've brought upon us. I thank you that you would expose each of our hearts so clearly that we could not hide in a crowd. And I pray now, Almighty God, that this work of reformation will be completed in each family, in each marriage, and in each person who comes to this house. I pray, Lord, that the work could be tested by fire and stand up through it. And Lord, by faith, I come tonight asking that when the altar is built, the fire will fall. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. pray that you have been awakened today by the Holy Spirit to a new hunger for Jesus and His holiness. If you need someone to pray with you, call 703-490-8723. That number again, 703-490-8723. You can contact us by writing to the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. That address again, the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. Come worship with us on Thursday evening.